Science Friday is supported by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WNYC Studios is supported by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink, software for technical computing and model-based design. MathWorks, accelerating the pace of discovery in engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Science Friday is supported by Random House, publisher of When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi, a memoir from a doctor-turned-patient about the fragile beauty of our mortal lives. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is available at PRH.com air. AI-powered chatbots and image generators can feel like magic, but that magic comes at a steep environmental cost. They're trying to promote AI as this transformative technology, and they're glossing over the fact that there are some trade-offs here. It's Wednesday, February 21st, and after consulting with the relevant experts, it's Science Friday. I'm sci-fi producer Deep Peterschmidt. Researchers are learning that the data centers used to power AI models like ChatGPT need an enormous amount of not just electricity, but fresh water to keep everything running smoothly. And the industry shows no signs of slowing down, as OpenAI is seeking to raise $7 trillion to reshape the global semiconductor industry for AI chip production. Dr. Jesse Dodge, research scientist at the Allen Institute for AI, joins Ira to talk about how much energy and water these data centers are using and what regulations these companies could face. Welcome to Science Friday. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so why do these AI models use so much energy? Today, AI systems are run on supercomputers. When I started doing AI research more than a decade ago, I was able to run most of the training and production of AI systems on my laptop. But what we've seen over the last decade is this dramatic increase in computational cost that's led to today's environment where most of the AI that you'll interact with online is run in a data center and primarily run on GPUs. These GPUs are often very specialized hardware that are pretty energy intensive. So people don't often think about it, but when you type a query to a chatbot or search for something online, that now has a significant energy consumption and therefore environmental impact. You know, that you're sounding just like what we used to say and still do about crypto mining, making Bitcoin. It sounds like the sort of same thing is happening. Yeah, that's right. So I think a key difference here between crypto and AI is that AI has become sort of enmeshed in everyday life. And so many people are actually using it to help them with creative writing tasks or to generate an image, let's say. Crypto does use similar hardware. It also uses GPUs to mine cryptocurrency, but it hasn't received quite the wide adoption. And so we've got some measurements about the electricity consumption and the environmental impact of hardware used to mine cryptocurrency, But the rate of growth of AI, because it's become so widely adopted, has 
perhaps even exceeded that of cryptocurrency. Wow. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about the environmental impacts of AI. What are they? So as I said, the hardware that's used to power these AI systems is pretty energy intensive. And a lot of our energy, depending on what region you're in around the world, is generated from fossil fuels. So according to some recent reports, about 2% of electricity consumption in the U.S. in 2022 is just from data centers. And data centers power all kinds of things, but AI is certainly the fastest growing portion of that. And those data centers, they do exist in areas that have some renewable sources of energy. They are often built, you know, close to, let's say, hydroelectric power or wind farms. But it's also the case that data centers are always going to be built next to population centers. And those are primarily going to be powered by fossil fuels. So once we have some initial transparency, we've done a little bit of work now on getting the first measurements around electricity consumption, but there's a lot more transparency that's still needed. And one area where we have almost no transparency today is on embodied carbon, which is a measurement of all of the emissions that come from building the hardware itself. So that's going to be things like mining for the rare earth minerals and then shipping those minerals from one country to another where they're manufactured into a GPU and then shipping that GPU from where it's manufactured to a place where it's going to be put into a data center. We've only got measurements now of the emissions from electricity consumption and a little bit about water consumption. This, I think, is going to be one of the most important areas that we can have research make progress on in the next one to two years is getting some measurement of this embodied carbon for all of the hardware that we use. Because by the time AI systems are running in the data center, you know, there's already been a tremendous environmental impact to just set that up. But how much? We don't know yet. I know from visiting these centers and I know from using electronic devices, they get pretty hot, right? And you need a lot of cooling water to cool these things down. Yeah. Again, like a key thing to keep in mind here is that the location of the data center really matters. And that hardware does need to be kept at a really constant temperature. All data centers need a lot of water. And some data centers are in locations that have access to lots of pure water. And some are in areas, you know, for example, like the, the Southwest US that just are already going through a drought or don't have significant access to water. And they're competing with other uses of fresh, clean water. Hmm. And, and the companies, have they been keen to disclose all these numbers about the energy and the water they're using? That's a great question. There is some improvement in transparency in the last year or two. But again, this is really the key. Right now, there is significant consumption, as I just said, but we're expecting this to grow. And unless we start to get improved transparency now, this is expected to get very out of hand. And it really isn't in the big tech company's interest to be transparent about some of these downsides, right? They're trying to promote AI as this transformative technology that can really benefit humanity. And they're glossing over the fact that there are some trade-offs here. Like, yes, AI can be this transformative technology, but powering it and you know supplying the, the necessary water and even building the data centers themselves, all of that has uh, measurable impacts. Right. And, and we, the public, have a right to know about this, don't we? Oh, absolutely. And even people that are using AI, 
and using, let's say, cloud computing, they have some ability to choose like the, let's say, location of the data center that they want to run their AI in. I'm an AI researcher. And so when I'm doing my research, I can choose which data center around the world I use. And vitally, I need access to the information about which data centers have more or less emissions or more or less water usage to be able to minimize that impact. Right. And that transparency there where like the providers of the cloud computing, for example, they should provide that information to me so I can make that choice. And they're just not doing that today. Well, that's good that you bring this up because there is a concrete example about transparency. Uh, I'm talking about what happened in the city of the Dalles in Oregon and Google's data centers there. Tell us about that. Yeah. So in the Dalles, there's some additional data centers being built by Google and the water consumption from those data centers, according to some recent reports, has nearly tripled in the last five years. Those data centers now consume more than a quarter of all of the water used in the city, which is kind of a wild statistic. Wow, that is. And isn't it true that the city filed a lawsuit to keep Google's energy and water use secret? I mean, they were using so much. Yeah, that's right. Because again, as you say, there's just not much incentive for improved transparency along these topics. And internally at these companies, they are certainly keeping track of, let's say, water use, electricity consumption, CO2 emissions, and so on. But they they recognize that it's not exactly what makes them look like a, an environmentally friendly company. And so they are doing their best to not provide transparency. And I can also talk a bit about some other like pretty dramatic environmental impacts. So for example, there was a power station in Virginia that was planned to be shut down. It was um, using coal to generate electricity. And the increase in energy consumption from data centers in that region in Virginia has led to that power station has continued to be online. They're continuing to burn coal to meet that increase in demand even after they planned to shut down that coal power plant. So what kinds of policies are being introduced to curb AI energy use? Yeah, that's a great question. I spent last week in Washington, D.C. talking to people in the House and the Senate about some recent legislation and research on trying to provide transparency around exactly these topics. Let me jump in there. I learned that February 1st, a new bill called the Artificial Intelligence Environmental Impact of 2024 was introduced. And Senator Markey was one of the sponsors. That's right. And one of the key ideas in this bill is to provide some standard formatting and standard best practices around how to report a lot of this information that we're talking about. So it's like a modern environmental impact statement sort of That's thing. That's right. That's right. And right now, this uh, legislation is more focused on providing some, let's say, guidelines and best practices and encouraging transparency. But going forward, I think we do have to recognize that providing transparency needs to be done across the entire industry, right? Mm. And just suggesting or like providing a framework for how to be transparent is the first step, yes. But we expect that, you know, better, uh, a sort of more impactful piece of legislation might require transparency much more broadly. Well, let's look at a possible good side of this, some hopeful news. Is it possible to have these data centers powered entirely by renewable energy? Yeah, that's a great question. There's definitely some work in pairing data centers with renewable sources of energy. And again, this is a great area where the large tech companies are making some progress. Of course, 
you know, the amount of electricity consumption from these data centers directly impacts their bottom line. And so they're pretty motivated to reduce electricity consumption and therefore reduce overall emissions. A key idea here is that there's really two considerations when choosing the location for a data center. And those two considerations are one, access to the resources they need, like renewable energy, which is often quite inexpensive and water and so on. That's one consideration. And the other consideration is that sometimes for some applications, data centers really do need to be immediately next to population centers. So these are always going to be two tensions around where data centers are built. And for that first one, it is the case that that the large tech companies are going to build data centers next to renewable energy. And maybe they will also, for example, build a wind farm. Or I've heard some reports that they're working on, let's say, a small nuclear reactor that doesn't have emissions and could power you know, a data center. Um, on the other hand, it's always going to be the case that some data centers need to be built near every city, right? And we're not going to be putting, let's say, a bunch of, of you know, windmills or a small nuclear reactor next to a large city here in the US. Right. And so here again, like I'll just reiterate that having transparency around the consumption of, of electricity and water and so on, that's vitally important and will continue to be important, even if we do have some data centers that are powered more by renewables. Right. You know, there's always the argument every time uh, something like this comes up, you know, there's going to be a technology breakthrough, right? That's going to solve right. our problems. Is there an efficiency breakthrough on the horizon? That seems promising. You know, we've been working on efficiency in artificial intelligence for more than a decade. Uh, this has become a standard area of research that's published at our conferences. And what has really shown to be true and what a lot of people recognize in AI research and across industry is that progress in the last few years has at least partially been driven by increasing the size of our models, increasing the size of our data, and increasing the computational cost of running these AI systems. And so over the last maybe seven or eight years, we've seen more than 300,000-fold increase in the computational cost of uh, expensive AI systems. That trend has not slowed down. I don't think that we will see significant advancements in at least the powerful, most capable AI systems to make them a lot more efficient. I don't think anyone expects that. We'd love to see that, but very yeah. consistently, instead, we've seen the opposite, that, that larger systems that are more expensive to train have been more capable and so been what we end up using. WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature. They address the impact of fossil fuels on communities and our environment. They help protect wildlife, public lands, and irreplaceable ecosystems that all living things depend on. They work to enact policies for clean air, clean water, and access to nature for all. You can help NRDC safeguard the earth for future generations. Visit nrdc.org WNYC for more information. Science Friday is supported by Zbiotics. The team of PhD scientists at Zbiotics are tackling rough mornings after drinking with their new pre-alcohol probiotic. This probiotic breaks down the byproduct of alcohol while you drink and sets you up for a great next day. Check out the cutting-edge technology for yourself at zbiotics.com Friday and use the code Friday to get 10% off your first order. 
ZBiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. That's zbiotics.com/friday and use the code Friday at checkout for 15% off. At Radio Lab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex, of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. You know, there's an argument in the field that the application of AI in our society can be more impactful than the emissions. I sort of like we should accept it because it's going to be better for us. Can can you explain that? Yeah. So, you know, I think there is some merit to this idea that the application of the AI itself can be incredibly impactful. AI is an accelerant, right? People can use AI to do what they're trying to do faster and better. Some of those applications can mitigate some of the harms of climate change. So at the Allen Institute, for example, we've got some teams working on using AI to model climate change. We've got some teams working on using AI to track and model wildfires or endangered species, right? These are applications of AI that we support and we think are overall beneficial. And of course, as with any application of AI, they do use electricity and that same hardware and therefore have CO2 emissions. On the other hand, there are other applications of AI that can exacerbate climate change. So if someone's using AI for, let's say, increasing the rate of oil extraction, that's an application that can potentially accelerate climate change. And again, AI here is just the accelerant. It's a general purpose tool. And so we hope that the development of AI will lead to more positive applications, but we have to recognize that application, whatever it is, you know, potentially more impactful than the emissions from the AI itself. I say this uh, very seriously. Could we ask AI to solve its own problem? <laughs> you know, AI historically was a very targeted tool that it would typically be trained to do a single thing and it would do that quite well. Now we have things like chatbots, which are pretty good at doing many things, but they're not excellent. They're not replacing people's jobs quite yet, right? So I think here, these problems are complicated and pretty serious. And so our expectation is that people need to work on them. And AI, again, can be a tool that we use along the way, but it's so far has not been successful in solving, let's say, like the problems around efficiency or where to place a data center and so on. Are you are you as fearful of AI as some people are? Do you know what? I'm not. And I, I have to say, so I did spend all of last week in Washington, D.C., and yeah. I was so thankful to hear that a lot of the people I spoke to, the trend that they had gone on was like a year ago, two years ago, they had heard from, let's say, people in the what's called effective altruist movement that AI has this risk of like taking over the world or getting access to nuclear weapons. And they over the past year and a half had said to them repeatedly, provide us any evidence of this, like any, you know, example of AI actually doing those things. And when they couldn't, eventually a lot of the staffers in DC and, and the senators and so on, they said, we're just not worrying about that right now, which I think is the right choice. 
So to me, those are problems that might exist someday, but there are real problems today that we do need to account for, like job displacement and, you know, the environmental impact. Great, great, great answers to our uh, problem here, Jesse. Thank you for taking time to be with us today. This is something we all have to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Jesse Dodge, research scientist at the Allen Institute for AI. And that's all the time we have for today. Lots of folks help make the show happen, including... Nahima Ahmed. Emma Gomez. Annie Nero. George Harper. Next time, we'll find out how scientists are making chemistry more accessible to blind and low vision people. But for now, I'm sci-fi producer Dee Peterschmidt. See you then. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.